dopamine swipe, dopamine, dopamine swipe. Follow us, likes, double tap. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the 817 Podcast. I'm Jimmy with my co-host, EJ. And uh, every week, we dive into everything going on in the city of Fort Worth and Tarrant County. So we read the news and distill it down into three short stories, one big story, and our wins and losses to help give you a summarized version of this week's news. And we're doing something pretty fancy today as we are doing our first out of in-house studio. We are now in a studio in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, and we're going to have our first in-person guest uh, today, which will be Pamela Young with United Fort Worth. Jimmy, how do you feel about our current setup? Yeah, we're making moves. Yeah, and so if you if you hear, um, like our audio is different because we are in a completely different environment. So it's uh, any feedback on that would also be really cool. And also, the reason why we're doing it this way is because we're going to start having guest co-hosts you know daily show style coming into the 817 podcast throughout may and uh, we got some exciting people already on the docket and uh, really excited for you to hear their, their voice but then also see uh what that next chapter of the 817 podcast looks like uh but jimmy we have a lot to talk about today we got to talk about um where's the money going where are we allocating funds and what priorities should we prior prioritizing uh where do you want to start with first yeah, so this week our, our big story will be our interview with Pamela Young from United Fort Worth. But first, we're going to dive into our three short stories. And I guess the theme this week is where the money <laughs> at? Uh, where, where's, what's going on? Where's spending going? Um, so first, we're going to talk about Panther Island. Uh, or Fort Worth plans to take $14 million from flood projects in other parts of the city for the Panther Island work. That's uh, the estimated cost of stormwater and water relocations that has nearly tripled from original estimates. Uh, so the city's plan is to pull $14.1 million originally set aside for 11 flood mitigation projects not related to Central City Panther Island. Those, those funds came from Fort Worth's 2020 stormwater bond and the city's pay-as-you-go fund for capital projects. Yeah, I mean, T Tarrant Regional Water District will reimburse the city for any vin invoices paid before August 1st, according to the Water District, Matt Oliver. Uh, the, the reimbursement payment should arrive in September with money coming from $250 million in Tarrant Regional Water District bonds approved by voters in 2018. Uh, but some of the city's stormwater projects may be delayed depending on how quickly crews can finish construction related to Panther Island, which will affect the reimbursement timeline, said Jennifer Dyke, Assistant Stormwater Management Director. Jimmy, diving into this pod, seeing the document here, it's a four-page document of the kind of process here. What's your first thoughts here? Um, it seems like some city officials are concerned or about their districts. Yeah, you know, I... Um don't know the ins and outs of how city bonds work, but this is something that we voted on in 2020, these bonds for these specific projects. So it feels a little sus that <laughs> all of a sudden you're just able to like take the $14 million and move it somewhere else. Like what did we vote on then? We voted for these projects that are meant to help roads from flooding in neighborhoods mostly um 
It says some funding will not be returned because some projects are already considered completed by Fort Worth Stormwater Department, according to an informal report that will be presented to city council members on April 18th. Um, under the current plan, more than $4.6 million will be pulled from a flood mitigation project near the north side's Diamond Hill, while 2.25 will come from a program to acquire homes and replace them with green space in the central Arlington Heights neighborhood. I mean, I, I think it's fair for council members to be uh, on edge or on the defensive about this. Yeah, no, I... Uh... I mean, you're looking at the list. Uh, I mean, and, and, and shout out to this article. It's just a really robust article on the situation. Uh, cost of 14 u- utility relocations could soar to $60 million, over $60 million, uh, where the city staff originally estimated the Great Avenue construction would cost $10 million, according to April 18. Uh, that cost now has ballooned to $22 million. So you're seeing the inflation costs of what will be needed to to do these things. Um, and then clearly Elizabeth Beck is on top of this talking about it in her area and how she wouldn't want um, any of it impacting her her spaces. You also have Carlos Flores where he says, um, quote, we get into a bind is if you can't account for it and you can't trace what happened. Um, and like it seems it seems people are going to be impacted by our love for the island that, that we're building in the middle of downtown. Um, but Hey, we started this project because we're going to prevent floods. And now it looks like, nope, we're just going to put it in other places and make sure this Island is uh, fundable, uh, while places like diamond Hill could have, uh, water, you know, places that they shouldn't. Yeah. And I think the two questions that like come up for me is one, why now? And so before the army Corps of engineers can move forward with its part in Panther Island, Fort Worth must relocate 14 stormwater and water lines to make way for the bypass channels. This is the city. The city's first priority is moving storm drains along Grand Avenue near Rockwood Park. So we have to complete utility relocations within these channels by uh, summer 2024 for the north ones and fall 2024 for the south ones. And... uh, I'm just like, how do we're, we're 15 years into Panther Island and like, how do we not know about it? This, like, what have we been planning this entire time? And how many, then my second question, how many more times is this going to happen where something that we have voted on with a bond or with, uh, funding all of a sudden gets sucked into Panther Island without, you know, us as voters having a say in it and all of a sudden we're investing all this in Panther Island and continuing to neglect other parts of the city that we had allocated this money for. It feels like a slippery slope. One, 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 100%. And it's just crazy when Fort Worth wants to use the logic on, Oh, we can't do these things because of responsible spending. Oh, East Fort Worth is not dense enough and not enough income for us to invest in. Uh, the National Juneteenth Museum. Like, okay, y- y'all have fun with that, but we're not going to really make sure that the National Juneteenth Museum is extraordinary and a one-stop stop for black tourism, right? We're not going to uh, fund these other ideas. But big old island in the middle of downtown makes a lot of sense, and we're finding funding because the Air Force uh, 
our, our the partnership, they the, the military, they have to, they're ready to roll. And it's like, we don't have the money, it feels like, and now we got to go find it in nooks and crannies that we were giving it to other people. And, uh, man, I just don't know when the vision of this is going to seem real. Me and you always joke that we're going to be old walking on our walker on the ribbon cutting for Panther Island. So it's just, it's, uh, it's interesting how we say, oh, we don't spend money on things as a city, but then this crazy Panther Island project, I, I don't know, starting to feel a little wall to me, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you know, we say that we've funded this, that we've got the federal funding that we need yeah. and all of a sudden it's like no we're pulling in more we're pulling in more all of a sudden we're sucking all you know the city's resources that it needs to maintain itself and to plan for it to grow all into this project that you know who knows who knows when it's going to be done (laughs) Uh, well um you know we we see panther panther island going to be a part of the pod for many years to come uh, the next big conversation to me is we have stories. I think it's I think it's ironic or great timing for us that we have Pamela Young coming on where she does a lot of activism work around keeping our Fort Worth PD accountable. But then at the same time, once we scheduled this, it seemed like this whole week, big stories around the money we spend on law enforcement and military training has also now been in discussion. Jimmy, of these two stories um, that you saw, which one would you like to hit first? Yeah, the uh, this is the other thing that we're fine sucking money into with no uh, repercussions, uh, no real thought around. <laughs> the Let's start with the county one. Um, so law enforcement leaders are looking to train recruits in Tarrant County, and they are looking to build a brand new uh, $50 million law enforcement training center. Um, the obvious question being, is it worth it? Uh, since the... Since the early 2000s, Tarrant County taxpayers have spent at least $123 million on building new public safety training centers in Fort Worth and at Tarrant County College. Uh, the Fort Worth report this week visited three regional training centers to, you know, kind of actually take a look at does this make sense for us to be spending money on Uh the county has commissioned a feasibility study as well as an uh, architect to estimate the cost and they say it'll come in at 45 to 50 million. Um, you know, let's be honest and add like 20% to that just to be realistic. And, you know, County judge Tim O'Hare, uh, ran on a platform of fiscal responsibility. Uh, but he also ran on a platform of law and order and, uh, you know, the two don't go hand in hand. Uh, the county's current center, which sits on the same campus with several other county resources in southeast Tarrant, was built in the 70s. That's their main uh, training center. Um, and it's primarily used for the county's basic jailer academy, recertification, and continuing education. Look, obviously we want our police officers to be well-trained. We want them to be, I would say, better trained than they are now. Um, but we, we just dedicate so much to this, uh, this is money that is coming from, this would be money coming from federal, uh, COVID funds. So at least like that's the flip side is this isn't necessarily like directly out of 
Tarrant County's taxpayer funds. Um, but I mean, less than a month ago, you told us that you nickel and dime the city of Fort Worth over affordable housing for, you know, like $5 million. Um, and with this same COVID relief money, and now you're saying that, oh, like we've got this to, you know, spend $50 million on this project. Uh, not factored into that price tag is the cost of operating, maintaining the facility. Um, O'Hare previously told Fort Worth Report he would use any available federal stimulus funds to deliver on tax relief for Tarrant County residents. Uh, you know, doesn't seem like that's going to happen. Look at this part. Former police leader uh, Ramirez uh, uh, of the Officer Association talking about like just even the personnel piece. What's the point of building a blockbuster building if you can't even find staff to, you know, support these initiatives? Uh, you got gaps in the police force. This one says here, it's impossible to ignore the fact that we are 270 personnel short. Um, it, it seems like if you are going to be funding any money, it should be on recruitment and maybe community policing or somehow figuring out how do we train support neighborhoods to have safe and supportive places when you're down so many people and your law enforcement. Yeah. That seems like your big boiled problem rather than more buildings. It does feel convenient that, you know, Manny Ramirez, longtime uh, president of the Fourth Police Officers Association, all of a sudden gets on the county court and uh, is like, hey, Tim, like, let's, you know, go spend $50 million on a new training facility. Uh, former county judge Glenn Whitley says, we're spending a lot of money for something that already exists. Um, and then they interviewed a former police chief who said, $50 million is pretty expensive for a law enforcement training center. Um, so the high expense can be attributed in part to the county's wish list, including a driving track and indoor firing range. It's, you know, this throws like we, fiscal responsibility yeah. in the face. Are we like, talking about a law enforcement center or building, you know, a main event? Yeah. The, uh, is Andretti racing going <laughs> to yeah. be the ones designing the course? Yeah. We got laser tag chest on. <laughs> we got team blue, team green. Like, what is this? No. And, and unfortunately, you know, Republic politicians don't say what they really feel until they leave like Mr. Whitley, but he can't get out of the sense of, you know, this is a culture you left, and now this is what we're creating. Um, I don't know how, like, to me how this story is not even more of a loud megaphone of bad spending. Fort Worth is on a tear of bad spending right now. Of this, Like, just looking at the three stories we're highlighting today, Panther Island, this uh, county center, we're going to get into the other one. Um, City, Hall. City Hall. Like, man, it is... It is. A, it's serious. City Hall. And it's just so crazy yeah. how there's not a, any discussion. And I think that goes to another Star Telegram article, which we're not covering, but it's where you had Bill Wayborn, the sh you know, our sheriff, and Tim O'Hare talking about how let's take advantage of low voter turnout. And all of this crazy spending and reinforcing support for law enforcement after we give them 40 cents of every dollar is... It's just crazy that we're not more like flipping tables, upset. Um, and I just don't know how we'll ever get there. 
Yeah. Well, leading into the the second story, also about a training center, um, the Bob Bolin Public Safety Complex is a $101 million training center that already exists. And the city of Fort Worth and Tarrant County are kind of going back and forth on who is on how they should share this. Um, Initially, the city expected that it would be able to collect a significant amount of revenue from Bob Bolin by allowing other police agencies to rent the space. Um, Although the center has failed to pay for itself, it still serves as a regional resource. Um, Fort Worth trains an average of 750 to 1,000 sworn personnel from other agencies at the complex each year. Uh, But Bill Wayburn says that when he was elected, he immediately identified the need for a new county training center. So maybe maybe these are connected in that like Wayburn's trying to say that this one's uh, not good enough so that I can justify my, you know, 50 million dollar new one. Um, The Tarrant County Sheriff's Office has been unable to use the firing range because and classrooms because of scheduling conflicts when qualifying deputies. The county needs use of the range every day for months fort worth was unable to accommodate that um i mean seems like you guys need to get on the same page like if you need a firing range for months like how many gun ranges are there in fort worth like you know rent went out for months uh costa who's the assistant city manager said their needs are such that we're not able to provide for them in their entirety uh so that's a different (laughs) story than us not being able to do much at all the sheriff's office knows that they do rely on us. Um, you know, it seems like this is kind of in every boat. Like they built this expecting revenue to come from it, um, which was probably a thinly veiled promise at the beginning that hasn't come to fruition, generating only a couple hundred thousand dollars a year at best. Um, and now they also just don't meet the needs of the people that they're trying to, rented out to just seems like a sticky situation yeah no 100 percent. i don't have much more to say on on these expenses um it is just i I guess the wraparound bow here i think lately we've been doing really good on wrapping out like what's the point of these stories and why do we need to know them is it always just goes back to Fort Worth has a brand of saying we're conservatively responsible and we able to do a lot with a lot less budget um, because we fund stuff like a small town and we pride ourselves that we are able to still do things successfully and compete with the Metroplex because of how we spend money. But that narrative just needs to stop. We are like, is that's the, what this is just, uh, this episode is just three, three examples of, why are we funding K Granger's pet project that we're stuck with now? I mean, pretty much the behavior around that is like, hey, guys, we're here now. It's either success or not. So we're like, we're in a stuck situation. And then the police piece, piece it's we're such a cop-heavy culture um, that we treat our budget like a small town. So we think the majority of our budget needs to go to safety. Um, rather than seeing ourselves as a growing town competing with other cities um, to create a diverse, talented workforce 
And we need to start seeing how do we fund and support those transitions, support to working households, support the new narrative to make people's lives easier. And instead, we're still in the rural Texas 1998 version of running a city. And that's more stuff like cops are like the football team of 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 a city. It's like, oh, why do you get a new pro- locker room in practice? Is that AstroTurf? Meanwhile, the theater class, you know, the theater budget's getting cut. That's what this police is in Fort Worth, and it's a shame. Yeah, and uh, you know, it's important today. We're talking to uh, Pamela Young from United Fort Worth, which is a multiracial grassroots community organization that challenges discriminatory policy and systems of oppression through collective action. So I think a lot of what we're talking about is relevant to uh, Pamela and what we're going to get to talk to her about. Uh, So we're excited to bring her on. Um, my Fort Worth story is I was born and raised here in Fort Worth. I grew up in Meadowbrook on the east side. Uh, went to Bill J. Elliott Elementary School when it first opened. <laughs> and um, then went to Dunbar High School. Graduated from there. Um, my mother and her mother, um, actually my my mother's mother grew up in Paris, Texas, and then moved to Como, Texas, uh, Como, Fort Worth, Texas, <laughs> um, to to raise her family. And so uh, I grew up a little bit there, as well as in Stop 6, where my dad and his family grew up. Awesome, awesome. So then how did you, I mean, sometimes people grow up, I feel like, I want to leave and go away from where I grew up, but it seems like you're, you, how long have you been? Did you go away for college? Did you stay in the area? Um, how did you decide, Hey, this is where I want to invest my impact and just, uh, do the work you're doing at United Fort Worth. Yeah. So I did go away for college, not too far with (laughs) SMU in Dallas. Um, my mother worked there. She got a job at SMU so that her kids could go there tuition free. Wow. So that was a huge blessing. Um, how was that experience? Like, Going from from Como, East Fort Worth to SMU. Yeah, it was, you know, it wasn't a big leap for okay. me because our parents um, always had us involved in things like College for Kids Got it. <laughs> at TCJC, as it was called <laughs> back in the day. I'm showing my age. Um but known as TCC now. So we went to college for kids. We were always in summer programs, um, sister cities. Um, So we were just exposed to a lot. So going to college was, you know, I'd already been at college several times. Um, So it wasn't a big leap for me. Got it. So then you came back from that and was exploring how to, what to do next. I would love to know the creation of United Fort Worth. Yeah, so I did not create United okay. Fort Worth. <laughs> um, United Fort Worth uh, began in 2017. Um, so as as many of the listeners may know, Texas has legislative sessions every odd year. So in 2017, um, there was a ledge session and a racist bill, Senate Bill 4, came out of that session. Um And several large cities around Texas uh, decided, you know what, we're not going to stand for this and we're going to sue 
over this racist bill. Um, San Antonio, Austin, Dallas, uh, Houston, um, but not Fort Worth. Fort Worth should have been in that number, but it wasn't. And so a group of young people here in Fort Worth saw that nothing was moving as far as the city of Fort Worth joining that lawsuit. And they started organizing. Um, one of those people is Danielle Garcia Rodriguez, who is one of the co-founders of United Fort Worth. Um, amazing visionary organizer and just passionate person um, who, along with other uh, young people going to like Texas Wesleyan and other colleges in the area started organizing to get the city to join that lawsuit. Um, and so that's really how United Fort Worth was born was through that campaign of sorts uh, and that movement. Now, were you involved right then or, or did you get involved a little later? I, I got involved then in 2017. So right uh, before that, in December of 2016, Jacqueline Craig was accosted by Fort Worth police officer. Um, I'm forgetting his name right now, which is OK, um, was accosted by him when her young son was harassed and assaulted by their white neighbor. Jackie's black. Her son is black. Um, her son was eight years old at the time. And she called Fort Worth police for help. But what she got was this officer who came and harassed and assaulted her and her young daughters. And so that was my first time going to a city council meeting. <laughs> OK. Uh, and that's really when I got activated, radicalized. Um here in the city of Fort Worth. Um, leading up to that, I had been organizing in Dallas, actually, because I didn't see any organizing structure here in Fort Worth. So I was just like, man, where can I help? You know, I keep seeing these things happening to my people, but where can I activate and, and, and take action? And so I had started organizing with Mothers Against Police Brutality, um, Dallas Action, Faith in Texas. And um, but Jacqueline Craig was what brought me back to Fort Worth. And that was also when I met folks from United Fort Worth because they were at City Hall at the same time. Right. Um, short moving into 2017. Um, advocating for the city to join the lawsuit against Senate Bill 4. So that's when we linked up and I started attending their meetings and started volunteering and just fell in love with the people, with the, the spirit of the movement and uh, been there ever since. Yeah. So tell us about what your role in United Fort Worth is now. Sure. Yeah. I am the criminal justice organizer with United Fort Worth. And um, I lead in those areas whenever we're talking about police, policing, <laughs> whether it's city police, whether it's the sheriff's department, um, anything having to do with criminal justice, the DA's office, prosecution, um, the jail. Um, all of those things. Th that's that's my lane. Um, but we also we're kind of a all hands on deck <laughs> organization. <laughs> um, it's four of us right now. So we all um, pitch in on on all of the different initiatives that we have. We have a um, three main focuses, 
criminal justice, immigration justice, and civic empowerment in black and brown communities here in Fort Worth and Tarrant County. And so um, a lot of our work really is intersectional, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because they all affect one another um, so much. And so right now, um, I'm not sure when this is going to air, but right now we are working on civic empowerment, you know, educating people, helping people to understand the power that they have with their vote in these municipal elections in May. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah, let's talk about the election. I love the um, content that y'all shared around, like, what is your city councilor voted for since they've been in office? Um, Can you talk about what engagement looks like for y'all? I I mean, I love that y'all shared um, the same content in Spanish as well as English. Like, that's something that we talk about all the time and that people, um, that we see people talk about is that like this content needs to be available to everyone so like what are some of y'all's priorities and what you're sharing and what does engagement look like outside of like social media that people might see a little more often yeah so that's that's huge i'm glad that you mentioned that about language justice um one of our our immigration justice organizer gloria um she is very passionate and has been teaching all of us right on how we can move about making sure that we have language justice especially here in fort worth in texas you know what i'm saying where over 35 percent of our population is latin and many of them um only speak spanish and so we want to make sure that Everything that we do as much as possible is accessible to everyone, you know, no matter what, um, where they come from, what their language is. Um, And so, yeah, I think that uh, what we're focusing on this time around, different from what we focused on before, which is more of a political push, right? We've endorsed candidates before. We're not doing that this time. We're focusing in on, again, education, making sure that people know the basics, because those are some of the barriers that we see to people getting engaged civically is they just don't know. They, They just literally don't know the first thing about it. And so we're we have a robust voter guide um, online. If you go to our link tree, linktree.com backslash United Fort Worth, you can find our voter guide. And in there, it not only gives you information about the candidates that are running, but it tells you what does city council do? <laughs> you know, what does the mayor do? What does the council person do? What does the city manager do? Um, and why are these things important? We also give information on um, just the basics of when to vote, where to vote, um, and also on what to expect, you know, um, and what resources are available for you if maybe if you have a disability and you're trying to vote in person or if you encounter voter suppression or intimidation at the polls. We have that information there. So that's really what we've been focusing on is educating folks so that they feel informed, empowered, and confident about voting. Can you I can you give like something you mentioned is just like how people just don't know? I mean, 
you're, you're right, right? So many of us just don't know. What would be your elevator pitch on someone says, tell me what to know about the situation we're in in Fort Worth when it comes to criminal justice and what I need to be more mindful of uh, as, oh as, as, as a voter? Woo. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can do that in an elevator pitch. <laughs> well, you got I, uh, my you elevator got, you're pitch. The, you're be... the main event in the pod, so if you can't okay. do it in an elevator, we'll just go up and down the whole time. <laughs> I, I would start with, "Can we uh, make a date for coffee? <laughs> so we can really uh, lay this thing out." We're Buddy the Elf. We just like smeared all of the buttons, so we're stopping at every floor on the <laughs> way up. <laughs> yes, exactly. Wow, I would say, you know. It's no different than it is anywhere else in this nation. All across this nation, police are wreaking havoc. Policing, again, that's not just your city police. That's the sheriff that sometimes can be mental health. Um, sometimes that can be um, the schools, the school to prison pipeline. All forms of policing are out of control in the United States of America. Um, and right here in Fort Worth uh, is no different. Um, our police, we just got a report back, a 97 page report from a panel of police experts that our city hired to review our police department and their practices. And what did they come back and say? They came back and said the same thing that other reports done on this police department have said uh, they reiterated it that this police department is off the wheels and needs extreme reform structural change because it's putting our community members in harm's way in danger every day and that's what I would I would start with that. Um, and, and to reiterate, it's not I really don't like to talk about reform because that's not what we need. I'm an abolitionist. I believe we need to abolish policing in total. Um, but on the road to that, there are changes that can be made that just haven't been made. Um that will help, you know, keep folks alive and keep folks living freely in this city. One of the things that um, that's really important that a lot of people overlook sometimes is the police contract between the city and the Fort Worth Police Officers Association. In that document is where a lot of the mechanisms that continue to put us in danger as community members are codified. And so until we change those things, we're going to continue to have these issues and not have any accountability. That document protects the Fort Worth Police Department from being held accountable. And it's coming up for renewal uh, in September, I believe, of 2024. And so what we've been pushing on, if you do a search hashtag six, you must fix. We've been pushing for that meet and confer agreement to be changed, to be updated, to be amended. 
so that it's not only protecting police, you know, as a labor union would. Right. But it's also protecting people who are being policed by this very well resourced uh, and protected union of city workers called the Fort Worth police. Um, so I'm not sure if I answer uh, that I mean, last question, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like a great transition to, you know, you brought up 2017 in the aftermath of that. We had the race and culture task force. One of the things that came out of that was um, the need for a police oversight board. Um, and then very recently the city council voted against that um, again. What, um, what do you y'all's conversations look like with city council with the mayor? Do you get to have conversations with them? Um, especially the ones that have voted against this in trying to continue the conversation of why this is incredibly necessary for our community. Yeah, we've had conversations with folks who have voted against this in particular, Carlos Flores, who we were hoping would be that fifth swing vote he could have been that vote, but he decided not to do that. We had a conversation with him and we thought he was listening, but clearly he did not hear us. Um, and, and, you know, here we are. Back to 2017 with Senate Bill 4. Um, United Fort Worth organized two days of action um, and hundreds of people came out, marched in the streets to City Hall, stayed all night, gave testimony after testimony after testimony until one o'clock in the morning, speaking to city council saying, we need you to join this lawsuit against this racist, show me your papers bill, because it's hurting our community. And after each of those meetings, the final one where the vote was going to take place, um, we were denied and they voted against that. And so since then, our push, a, a big part of our push has been we can't continue to wear people out mm -hmm. <laughs> and go talk to a brick wall. Mm -hmm. What we got to do is flip these seats. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we've been doing in 2021. We launched a campaign, brand new city council. And at the culmination of that, we were able to help get Chris Nettles in district eight and Dr. Jared Williams in district six. And so that's part of our strategy is to keep flipping seats, mm. whether it's city council, county commissioner's court, um, you know, what have you. Uh, that's part of our strategy because the simple bottom line is we, we're not going to get the votes <laughs> if we don't have the votes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but short of that, though, uh, we do still believe that even when you don't have the votes, it is important to advocate. It is important to stand up and speak out 
against mm-hmm. the things that are causing harm in our community and not just us, not just people in the community, not just organizers and activists, but people who sit on that city council who may yeah. be standing alone. You know, we have a questionnaire that we gave to all of the um, candidates running in District 5, 6 and 11 and one of the first questions that we ask them is, if elected, will you are you committed to standing alone, even if it's just you? But when you're standing for what's right for the people, especially for the most marginalized people in our community, that's very, very important um, because, you know, even if, if even if you don't get that win, standing up is part of winning in in in. <sighs> forwarding that narrative that we need change and justice yeah i was so like when when you're talking about that for example and y'all show like vote nine zero even that eight one matters it does yeah it does It, it matters or the the you know when it's just the current progressive folks that we have on the council um it matters if it's just them, you know, uh, and I think that's really important for people who are thinking about running. Right. For people who are currently running, knowing, guess what? When you get in there, you're not going to get all all of these <laughs> campaign promises, you know, right off the bat. But if we keep standing up, we keep making the argument, we keep furthering the narrative um, and we keep galvanizing support and engagement for what's right (laughs) um it's going to work that's how we are where we are now you know the civil rights movement it was everybody was not with martin luther king and diane nash and you know bayard rustin they had to it was a small group right we see the pictures um on the washington mall that's very different from the day-to-day organizing that was taking place you know but it started somewhere and so we have to keep going in that direction um so i would love to know like what you guys how you measure feel your impact has been since 2017 um like you said a lot of it probably feels hitting a wall um but, I, you know, personally, I'm so thankful that we in the city have a united Fort Worth. I mean, what progressive action or ideologies, things that we need to be accountable for, if we didn't have you guys standing up with your voices, how gutted or would our city feel? I mean, we could just be a Waco, Texas energy if it wasn't for the things you guys are doing in my eyes. But how do you guys look at the impact you guys are doing um, since 2017? Well, I can only speak from my (laughs) vantage point. Um, But again, you know, like I said, for me personally, I started organizing Dallas because I didn't see anything going on in Fort Worth. So I totally hear where you're coming from. Like we could totally be just uh, so far away um, from where we even think we are now. Um, But yeah, I, I, I really am grateful for the impact that United Fort Worth has had. And I think it has been... Um, in a lot of ways, giving people a political home here in Fort Worth that they otherwise wouldn't have access to at home, um, giving people an outlet, right, and a space to come and say, you know what, 
okay, we're on the same page and we want to do something about it. Let's work together. Um, but it's not just United Fort Worth. Um, you know, there are other amazing organizations here um, like ICE out of Tarrant, which is one of our, uh, I guess, one of our earliest sister organizations that we've been in deep coalition with, um, who've been organizing around ending 287G. Um, here in Tarrant County, which if you don't know, 287G is a program, a voluntary program that the sheriff's department enters into with ICE, um, with with um, which is a federal agency um, and it deputizes sheriff's deputies as ICE agents in the Tarrant County Jail so that when folks who may be undocumented are arrested, um, they are that much closer to the pipeline to deportation. And it may be that they were arrested um, for for anything that, you know, you or I could have been arrested for, you know, but we're not getting shipped out of this country. Right. Um, and so that's one of the things that ICE out of Taryn is working to end that agreement. Um, other organizations that have popped up um, since 2017 here more recently, Tarrant for Change, um, doing amazing work, really like it's an umbrella for all of our organizations, not just here in Fort Worth, but all around Tarrant County, um, really empowering organizers and activists to do their work. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm really hopeful. I think that's probably one of the greatest effects United Fort Worth has had is um, we've inspired other people to get out here and start organizing and doing the work as well. Um, I can go all day. So no, you go. You go ahead. Yeah, yeah. No, I. Um. So let's talk. Let's 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 bring it all back, like you said, it intersects to this. We have an election coming up. You just said you guys weren't going to endorse this go around. What was what's the reason there um, with the expanded seats? Um. And then if you're not endorsing people who align and and advocate for the same things how are you all going to what's your take on helping them navigate this um election when there's it feels there's a lot of different people i think district 11 is a great example everyone you don't you don't know who's a democrat you don't know who's a republican you just you got the fort worth money you got different endorsements you guys not doing that what what is your approach this time around and what's your advice to people who are trying to vote for their new seats and people they don't really know much about. Right. And so that's part of why we're doing the focus on education, mm -hmm. right? Is because so many things have changed, like redistricting, right? We have two new city council districts. Um, we have a lot of people running. So we really wanted to, instead of focusing on a handful of candidates, we wanted to focus on giving people more access to the whole ballot. Mm. And so um, that's the push that we're doing in part, right, is, is to educate there. Also, we wanted to take a step back from direct endorsement this cycle, um, to be quite honest with you, because we just didn't see a lot of candidates running who aligned with our values. That's what I, yeah. 
I mean, that's that's the truth. And so instead of focusing our energies right there, we decided again, let's focus back on the people Mm. and educating and empowering. Um, You know, the first part of this, of course, is getting folks to the polls, but we're going to be doing a push as well to start educating and empowering people who want to run for office so that when we get to this place next time in 2025, when we're voting for city council again, we'll be in a much better position as far as candidates um, who we can feel very comfortable going out to our neighbors and saying, hey, we ask you to vote for them because they align with our values and they're going to fight for us, you know, unabashedly, unashamedly, they're not going to back down. And so we just didn't have that this cycle. And so, um, I I really think it was a blessing kind of in disguise because (laughs) it gave us this pause to really, um, sharpen our tools, you know, for helping to educate the community. And we want to just continue to get better with that as well um but yeah i'm really excited about um the feedback that we've been getting on the educational tools we're going to be releasing even more um next week and leading up to early voting um and yeah we're, we're just really excited about also beginning to create a help create a pipeline i think that's the third time i've used that word uh but a pipeline to being an elected um, seat holder, right? Um, and one thing that I will say that I like, uh, I won't mention their name because I don't want to be deemed as endorsing, but there is someone who's on the city council and I hear them say all the time, this is not my seat. This is the people's seat. And those are the type of people that we are looking for, that we need. People who are going to engage with the community that they say they represent and work with them to make the decisions that they make. Yeah, I think that is something that EJ and I talk about all the time, not even like on the air is like where where is Fort Worth where is Tarrant County's bench of people that can that like stand for the right things and can run so I think that is super important um talking about the resources y'all have shared like one that I really appreciated was uh the police officers association donations like where those are going that's a big like behind the curtain thing that people don't necessarily look at um, can you give us a tease of some of the other resources that are coming in the next couple weeks? Yeah. So we just released um, our voter guide. And so we're going to be uh, little by little, district by district, releasing some infographics on social media that kind of tease you for each of those districts. Who's running? What are some of their uh platform ideals and their background and different things like that. Um, And we're also hosting community and candidate conversations. We just had our first one this weekend in district six. Okay. And so what we want to do is something that's a little different (laughs) from all the forums that I'm sure some of us have been attending and maybe watching online. Um, We want to have, give the community an opportunity to be centered because a lot of times it's the candidates who are centered and 
questions <laughs> that we don't know where they came from, right, are being asked. They're not relevant to us, yeah. right? And so we're turning that on its head in our community and candidate conversations. Um, and we're centering community. Community can come. We, we serve food and we just have a good time with the candidates. And we ask them the questions that we want to ask them. There's no pre-designated questions. It's just you go, you go, you go. And we're just having a conversation. Um, and so our, again, I don't know when this is going to air, but our next one is, okay, great. Our next community and candidate conversation will be in District 5 at the MLK Community Center on Truman Drive. And it will be on Thursday, April 15th. Yes, April 15th. <laughs> and we'll have all the links in the descriptions of, yes. of the show as well. Uh, man, there's so many things I want to hit on. But April 20th. April 20th. Um, I feel like our pod, you know, I, I think we tried to do, we, we're trying to push the envelope in the city. And I think we've captured a, a an odd group of people. I think if, I, I think who we have on this pod who listens. And so I really... I, I think the work you guys are doing is just so big and I think people need to hear it. Can you explain for people who may be just a little bit unaware of why posting about the Fort Worth Police Association and who gets money from what and why that's important? Um, yeah. That would be helpful. Sure. So, you know, as you've probably heard before, follow the money, follow the money. Um, our city council di is directly responsible and in some ways indirectly responsible for the policing that we have here in the city of Fort Worth. The city council works with the city manager to hire our police chief. And then of course our police chief and his, that their staff hires police. Um, and so how is it that people who are responsible for hiring police are also being paid by police to put forth certain policies that protect police and to approve that meet and confer agreement that protects police. That's a huge conflict of interest. 100%. 100%. And so we feel like it's very important for people to be aware of who's being bought, who's being sponsored <laughs> by the Fort Worth Police Officers Association. And, um, you know, we we also are calling for candidates and for electeds to stop taking this money from the Police Officers Association because it is putting our communities in danger, you know, um, and is really just that plain and simple. Yeah. And it's not $50 that's being thrown <laughs> around. It's 5,000, I mean, 10,000. A great example is, you know, um, District 5, You this question now aligns to what you just answered, but then also you talk about building the bench. Gina Bivens has taken a lot from the POA in District 5. She also said this is her last go around. So when, you, when we talk about get the money and then what does it look like though that seems like a great place where united fort worth and sister so groups maybe create a position 
uh, helping find a bench. So when you think of someone like Gina Bivens or Carlos Flores, who has a lot of police association money, one of them finally says, I am out of the race. What goes on in your head thinking about what we all got to do to make sure that's a seat where you're proud, unite, we're proud, United for Worse proud, the Jared Williams and Nettles. What's your thoughts when you hear someone who had a lot of POA money now says they're out of the race? What do we need to be thinking about as activists, as podcasts, as city people thinking about how do we build a, make that a progressive seat? Yeah. And before I answer that question, I do want to clarify something that's interesting to note. Gina Bivens has received over $95,000 from the POA since she's been in office. However, she voted for a police oversight board. Don't get it twisted and think just because she voted for that, that that means that she is consistently voting for policy on policing that protects people in our community. Okay, and so that's why we've also put um, in our tools for people to learn more about city council, how to find how your council people have voted on past things that are important to you. You can do a search on policing and see how folks have voted. Um, But to answer your question, you know, with her leaving that seat um, and maybe others leaving leaving seats like Leonard Firestone, for example, it's really our our focus is the same is to find people to help equip people to run for those offices who are bold and unashamed and who are going to stand on the principles of, you know, um, making this city better for the most marginalized people in this city, black people, brown people. Poor people, you know, people who may be undocumented, people who don't speak English. Um, We are looking for those type of folks who will not back down. And I want to say this, too. You know, a lot of people Well, I'll say this. Democrats. For whatever reason, (laughs) feel like in order to win they have to walk this line down the middle. That's a lie. We just witnessed that in Tennessee with the two Justins. And we've seen it before them. We've seen it with folks like AOC, the squad, Ayanna Presley. Progressive values, radical stances, That is what's going to get you the win over and over and over again. Why? Because that's where you meet the people when you're when you are wishy washy, when you are walking a line trying to please everybody that doesn't help anybody. And so, again, that's the type of bench that we're looking to, you know, populate. And I I feel like, you know, this is a combo. And again, this is a combo of, of us having just. We talk about on the pod how the talent in District 4, the Firestone District, This, if we would have had a bench, this could have been a strong election to win because I guess there's no one on the other side. Like if you look at four, the total donations in that whole council is like 10 grand. I mean like, and it's, but it feels like they, I don't know. It feels like they wrote a lot of us into District 11 that now we have like a lot of this talent 
trying to run, but they're running now against each other. And then two people who I would say are the G League are going to get a sh- shot at be on the NBA because there was no bench. And it seems like um, we we missed an opportunity to have a Jared Williams, a Jared Williams in seven or four right now. I actually think could have pulled it off if we had that bench. Um, so how do you think we find that? And how do you think we can communicate that? Um, Cause I know being a city council doesn't pay a lot. It's a lot of work. So how do we find our two Justins, if you say of Fort Worth or people who speak for the people? I mean, you know, that's a, uh, something we're still trying to <laughs> yeah, figure yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. 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 I understand. It really <laughs> is, you know, and we're just, um, I think one of the things that we value and that we hold as a principle in the work that we do is putting the people first, you know, um, another way that we pulled back from some of our political work in 2022, um, you know, we had been knocking on doors, right. Um, consistently, um, for candidates leading up to that point. And we said, you know what, we want to go, we still want to talk to the people, but we don't want to be just talking about vote for this candidate, asking them to do something, but we wanted to go and give them something. And so we created a resource book um, and we went door to door in our neighborhood, which is Polytechnic Heights. Um, and just talking to people, just asking them, what do you like about your neighborhood? What do you like about your city? Um, What do you not like? What do you want to see changed or improved? And, you know, what are some of the barriers that you see um, that keep you from getting involved civically? That's one of the questions that we're beginning to really hone in on because we want to know. Um, And I think that's where it starts, right? Is just having everyday conversations with the people. And then people begin to feel more confident and feel more empowered. Like, oh, wow, someone actually cares about what I think. Somebody wants to know how they can help. And, you know, now I have a space where I can talk about these things and I can start talking to my friends and family about these things and my neighbors and the other parents at the school where my kids go to and at my church. And out of those spaces and conversations is where folks start organizing themselves, right? And begin to feel confident to say, you know what, listen, I can change this. I can be that one. And so that's part of the work that we're trying to do too um, with, with this pipeline to, mm. to these elected seats is helping people understand you don't have to be a rocket scientist, <laughs> clearly. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to anybody, but you don't. Is it like Carlos actually a rocket scientist? He's like an engineer or something. Yeah, so it's yeah. funny actually. <laughs> you, you don't have to be that and you don't have to have 85 degrees, mm-hmm. you know, and, and do, um, jump through all of these hoops what you do have to do is be very much committed to your community Mm. and very much engage with your community engage with the people who live there and be ready and willing to 
be a voice with them, not yeah. for them, but be a voice with them and fight for the things that are going to bring up our whole city, not just uh, a few, not just the businesses. Okay, not just <laughs> development, yep. but the actual people who live in this city. And so um, I think that that's, that's a huge part is just having those conversations with people and demystifying running. Um, you mentioned how much city council people get paid. It's $25,000 for city council people, $29,000 for the mayor. So that's not a living wage, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So if you're going to run currently, you have to be independently wealthy, retired, or, you know, what have you, or you have to work two jobs, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And so in, I believe it was the last municipal in November. Um, yeah. There was a ballot measure um to increase the pay for city council which I would have been all for, right? If they didn't try to sneak something else in there. Mm. So a lot of people maybe didn't maybe they did see it that's why it failed. But the reason why I didn't vote for that initiative, which is something that I believe in is increasing that pay so that you can give more access to everyday people to run mm. and be able to just work that mm. job as their singular job is because the way it was written was increase the pay, but also this decision will now be taken out of the people's hands mm. and it will be in the city manager's hands, any subsequent pay raises. And so that's another question that we ask on our questionnaire to candidates is, you know, we believe that increasing pay for city council is going to be a doorway to having more diversity on city council. Mm -hmm. Would you uh, support another ballot measure mm -hmm. that does not link pay raises to the city manager, but keeps it in the hands of the people mm -hmm. so that if there need to be subsequent pay raises, you know, in the future, that decision is still in the hands of the people who are grading their city council mm -hmm. and who get to decide, but it's not going to be in the hands of the city manager who, again, conflict of interest is hired by the city council. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. To kind of wrap us up, um, what's something exciting going on in Fort Worth right now that you feel like not enough people know about that you want to share with everyone? Mm exciting things i i really love i'm gonna brag again on polly and um one of our new sisters kinfolk house mm, yeah mm -hmm. right there in the heart of polly um it's a gallery an art gallery yeah um started by uh, leticia and cedric huggaby um and they're doing amazing amazing work and i really want everyone to get out and go see um their exhibits they have a current exhibit right now woven together it's beautiful um but they don't only do um art um they do a lot of community work a lot of community programming yoga they have a beautiful outdoor space there um so they're always giving back to the community all of their events are free um they have been up until this point i'm just like wow y'all are amazing yeah. world-class um, artists who world -class. Are, are, are who are invested into community it's, it's a beautiful place beautiful beautiful yes i believe um cedric huckabee <laughs> um 
is known to many as the person who taught previous president George W. Bush how to paint, uh, yep. do portrait paintings. Um, so yeah, they, and I believe he's in Mexico right now doing uh, commissioned work, really powerful. So Kinfolk House, that's very exciting to me. Yeah. Uh, well, what's any last minute um, kind of things you would like to address? Uh, we, we just appreciate having you on. And, and one, you're, you're always welcome back whenever, because uh, personally, I feel like we got into the 101 of what we all need to do together. And so I just uh, we advocate and support everything you guys are doing. Thank you. And um, yeah, anything you, the, the listeners should know who maybe got jazzed up. I was like, wow, I didn't even know this was here. You know, I was like. <laughs> I'm excited. What 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 do you want them well, to know? Well, I would just say definitely go to our website, linktree.com backslash United Fort Worth. We have a lot of resources there for people who are looking to get civically engaged. We have calls to action there. Um, we have a lot of information about this municipal election that's coming up on May 6th, a voter guide again. We have... Um, also, one major call to action that I would give that's also on our link tree is how to attend and watch city council meetings, county commissioner meetings. Listen, if you don't know what's going on in your city, the number one thing I would suggest to any person to do on that elevator is to attend a city council meeting. If you can't attend in person, you can watch it online. And that's super duper important because this is where the sausage is made. Okay. <laughs> this is where the sausage is made. This is where decisions are made every day on your behalf with your tax dollars um, and decisions that affect your very life. Um, a lot of people just haven't been able to connect the dots between the person that I elect for city council and, you know, my cousin Ray getting shot by the police. Mm -hmm. It's connected, you know, not just your water and, you know, um, your city services, but things that impact your very life. Um, so number one call to action is definitely um, start looking at those city council meetings, county commissioner meetings. Those are also on our link tree and you get a window in to um, what's happening in your city. Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to the 817 Podcast. Pamela, thank you so much for being a, our first in-person uh, interview. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Well, that was awesome. Thanks, Pamela, so much for coming on. We appreciate your time and all the energy that you put into the community. Uh, EJ, are you ready to move into our wins and losses? Yeah, let's do it. Um my win is actually well. We said we got to start with loss. Oh yeah, because we got to live leave on a positive note. Uh, my loss is me and my wife went to the Fort Worth Opera Show. We don't go to operas. This was our first ever opera. We went to the Aida uh, Opera Show. It was a great show. It was a diverse show. It was, I would like to say, unexpected. It was half the actors, half the singers were black you know, white, brown. It was a diverse Asian. I was like, man, this is in Fort Worth, Texas. This seems so awesome. And then instead I open up the flyer of the brochure and the pamphlet and there's the unexpected city stuff. And it's us doing expected stuff. A lady riding a horse with a cowboy hat. If you're going to call ourselves the unexpected city, 
you highlight the unexpected things in the city, not the same stuff we've been doing that's expected of us. And so my win is that there were some unexpected things happening, but my loss is that I can't stand the unexpected city brand at Visit Fort Worth. Yeah, you know, I... I've like, as I've thought about it more, I realize that we probably take it in a different way from they mean. Like what they mean is someone comes to Fort Worth, they go, wow, I didn't know Fort Worth was so cool. This was unexpected. But the way that it comes across is there are things for the way that it reads is that Fort Worth has more than just what you expect out of it. And that's what you said that we have this diverse opera that, you know, not a ton of people know about. Yeah, it was, it was a Friday night and there were seats available. You yeah. Know, it's, and it's incredible. So, like, the branding should be around that, not that, oh, here's a person riding a horse <laughs> didn't expect to see a person riding a horse <laughs> yeah no you, you, you got a good point i guess you got a good point that our our local lies and also depth of knowledge of fort worth makes us not see that marketing the way it's meant for people who have no idea what fort worth is and they unexpectedly have a good time yeah which you also don't get it all from just reading the unexpected city <laughs> yeah. uh my loss um we'll talk so like earlier you talked about how Fort Worth doesn't have a great sense of its identity or that it's uh you know perception is different from reality and uh i <laughs> a national study indicates that texas has the top three cities in the country where people are most likely to cheat in a relationship fort worth came at number two uh, mydatingadvisor.com compared 200 of the largest metro areas across four categories, relationship satisfaction, life satisfaction, cheating intent, and affair activities. Forth came in second. Uh, Dallas was number one. Houston was third. Um, the study further evaluated each of these areas using nine data points of cheating friendliness. So we, we put on this nice, you know, veil of like we... Yo, we're like a church-going city. We're a family-centric city. When actually, we're just running around cheating on each other. <laughs> I really have nothing to say to that, to that survey. Uh, I think it's just funny that a Southern conservative, you know. Yeah, well, that's what, yeah, top 10 most unfaithful. Dallas, Fort Worth, Houston, St. Louis, Nashville. Uh, so we've got Texas, 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 Missouri. Tennessee uh, then you've got Philly and New York then you've got Knoxville another Tennessee Atlanta Georgia then the top 10 most faithful cities top four are all California uh, we don't want to be like California though uh, funny stuff uh, well what's uh, what's your win uh, my win um, you know Abraham Alexander has his new album coming out uh, it looks like they were doing an awesome uh, some awesome music video shoots too yep. drop uh, Friday drop Friday yeah. seasons um, really great yeah that's a great one um, that's a great win there I was listening to the vinyl on my player last night it was awesome great collection of just um, emotion story um, shout out there for sure yeah awesome to see uh, local music scene getting a lot of recognition uh mine is 
a Dallas Business Journal story by Spencer Brewer talking about Fort Worth Way's incentive for expansive corporate R&D and technology center. This is something the city council will discuss this Tuesday. Uh, it's an R&D centered focus on smart building technologies. Sinclair Digital Service Incorporated, Incorporated proposes establishing a new corporate R&D and technology center in downtown Fort Worth with an investment of tuned of $87 million in total R&D costs over 10 years. In return, the city will provide grants to the company capped at $10 million total. Um, this is also co cool because Sinclair as a hotel uh, was open when it opened in 2019. It originally was uh, built in 1929, but the new power system saves 40% of what the building used to consume the 164 rooms. And so now Sinclair wants to take what they've learned and tested and scale that out across the country and helping other buildings. And so what I really love about this um, is one, it's a Fort Worth story of first we solved our own problem and now we want to commercialize that, take our talents and skills that we've proven and now do that in other places across the country. If Sinclair does what they say, I mean, this is the third kind of incentive around this uh, credit program uh, behind, they did this with GA, GK and Aerospace and Linear Labs. Um, but I see this getting growing into a very successful business and being a powerhouse downtown um, because hotels is something we do well in, in Fort Worth or we love in Fort Worth tourism. But now you're doing the innovation from how do you take all these old buildings, which Fort Worth has a lot of them and then be able to save on, on energy and things like that. And then showcase that to other cities. And now cities are like, man, this guy in Fort Worth with Sinclair is doing a lot of cool stuff that's internationally cool right now. And I think he was like the first to yeah. do his hotel that way. So that's probably a big story that we'll be able to watch throughout the 817 podcast. But I think this is a great example of public-private partnership. Yeah, I, I'm excited for it. I think that's awesome. Well, thanks everyone for listening. Uh, thank you, Pamela, for coming on. We appreciate your, your time. Um, as always, tell a friend share the podcast uh we appreciate all of you that listen every week and engage um we always love hearing from you